You're listening to Get Fed Today, one podcast designed to provide the Christian a hearty Bible study five days a week. While our mission is to showcase a variety of different Bible teachers, if you want to access more content from a particular pastor, simply listen to the end of the episode for additional information. On behalf of the entire team at Get Fed Today, it is our prayer that today's episode encourages your growth in the grace and knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. Good morning, what's happening? How are you? Can we all stand, please? You know, you guys come in at this service, 10 o'clock, but the 8 o'clock people, they freak me out. Because, you know, it's too early. But we have a 7 o'clock in the morning service, and those people freak me out. Because they're joyful. They come to the house of God at 7 o'clock. And I see their joy. And it's just contagious. I see their joy. But listen, before I became a Christian, I used to go to a traditional church. And they would make us stand up, kneel, stand up, sit down, this and that. But I found out later on through historical biblical teaching that the posture of a believer, someone who worships God, was to stand to our feet is a posture where we were about to receive from God. And we stand to our feet. Now, I don't know why you're here, but all of us here, whether you're a Christian and non-Christian, we have needs in our lives. Uh, there are apprehensions, there's stress, uh, there's blemishes, there's encumbrances, uh, there's, there's hardships, there's, there's brokenheartedness. People are grieving, people are in pain. Marriages are not what they're supposed to be. If you have teenagers, you know what we're talking about. <laughs> Lord, have mercy. <laughs> we're here to receive from the Lord. Lord, see, there's a divine intervention but there has to be a human response. Your heart has to be open. You have to empty whatever is inside of you right now and spiritually regurgitate it spiritually so nothing will encumber the Word of God. So what I like to do, uh, this is nothing mystical, nothing creepy, <laughs> but I would just like to take 15 seconds of quiet solitude there's a word in the Bible after the book of Psalms. Every time it's a psalm, there's the word selah, S-E-L-A-H. People don't really know what it means. Some people say, kick it. Other people say, contemplate. Other people say, ponder over it. I think they're all of the above. It just basically means chew on it for a minute so that you can really hit it to your head so it will travel 11 inches to your heart. Selah. And that's what we're going to do. And then we'll pray together and make sure you ask the Lord, what's inside of you? Are you crying out for your daughter or your son? Do you have a son or daughter in the military, in Afghanistan, in Iraq? Our heart goes out to you. You have a child on drugs? My heart goes out to you. You have an unbelieving spouse? My heart goes out to you. Are you going through economic problems? Oh, not here in Philadelphia. Of course, I'm joking. Let's come before the Lord. Our wonderful, benevolent, loving Father, 
We come to you this morning, Lord, not as a religious obligation, but we come to this house at our own volition to hear from you that we may receive forgiveness, cleansing, that you may lift our burdens, that you may open the door, may you close the door. May we hear you loud and clear as we pray for ourselves and our children and our children's children, and as we pray for our moms and dads and our own grandpas and grandmas. We pray for those who are sick in the hospital. We pray for those that are grieving over family members that are no longer with us. We pray for our men and women in uniform around the world, but especially those in harm's way. We pray for our president. We pray that you anoint him, that, Lord, that your wisdom will come from above. And, Lord, mesmerize our president with your love and your goodness. May you surround him with men and women of faith and moral rectitude. Keep him away from knuckleheads. I ask in the name of Jesus, Lord, that you, Father, will work through our president. We ask you, Father, that in spite of it, the criticism, we have an obligation as Christians to pray for those over us in government. And thus, we want to pray for him, his wife, his children, his entire staff. And we pray that you be with us now as we desire to be spoken by you in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. You may have a seat. Thank you. Good morning again. And good morning to all of you. Would you please turn your Bibles to Mark chapter 4. Mark chapter 4. There are three souls in conflict. I like the book of Mark. There's only 16 chapters. Mark has a preferable word that he uses, the word immediately. (laughs) Immediately. That's his favorite word, all throughout, immediately. And Jesus went to the synagogue, and immediately a man met him, and immediately uh, Jesus healed him, and immediately he was born again, and immediately, and I, I like immediacy. In the book of Mark chapter 4, Jesus and his disciples are found in the Lake of Galilee. Uh, they're, on the, they're on the western shore of the Sea of Galilee. They're about to go to point A to point B. They're going to go to the other side of the lake. On the other side of the lake, that's where the Gentiles live because we know that because they're raising pork. They have pigs. And so we know that they're going to go to the other side. But on their way over there, according to the last verses of chapter 4, as these men, sailors of Sea of Galilee, they experience a tempest or storm. And we find that Jesus is asleep while all the men are freaking out. And they they, they tell Jesus about the matter. And so Jesus basically gets up and talks to nature. And he says, mellow out. And tranquility, serenity, pacificness came upon everything. And the disciples now are bewildered. The Bible says they were, they were marvel. That means they were wigging out, they were tripping. They were asking among themselves, who is this man? Who is he? He has authority over nature. And yet in a moment when we get to chapter 5, although the disciples did not know who Jesus was, they had an inkling who he was, but they really didn't really know because of the power that Jesus had 
But the demon world, they knew who he was. Every demon that met him said, we know who you are. You're the son of the living God. Don't mess with us. Don't torment us. Every demon knew who he was. And so here, after this sensational miracle that happened in the Sea of Galilee, they go from point A to point B. And they meet the first tormented soul. And then they will meet, he will meet, we will, we will meet a grieving soul. And then we will meet a hurting soul. All three of them have something in common. They all humble themselves before Jesus Christ. And so we find here basically a man that is a mental case. What we call in California police code 5150. I don't know of the 5150 here in Philadelphia PD. But a 5150 is a mental case, someone who is a danger to himself and a danger to others. And by law, they can hold you 72 hours by law. If you need more in California, they'll extend it to 14 days. After 14 days, they have to let you go or else put you in a mental hospital. We have here a situation where a man is, is going through much personal grief. Let's read verse 1 of chapter 5. Then they came to the other side of the sea, to the country of the gatherings, and when he had come out of the boat, immediately, there you go, I told you. Watch, if you have a pencil, mark down. Mark, mark is, mark's a trip. Just put, just find out how many times it's immediately. Homeboy just wants to talk fast. Immediately there met him out of the tombs a man with an unclean spirit who had his dwelling among the tombs. And no one could bind him, not even with chains, because he had often been bound with shackles and chains. And the chains had been pulled apart by him, and the shackles broken in pieces. Neither could anyone tame him. And always, night and day, 24-7, he was in the mountains and in the tombs, crying out and cutting himself with stones. So we find here a demon-possessed man. Now, in the book of Matthew and the book of Luke, they both mention this episode. And so in order for us to really appreciate the, the, the panoramic enchilada, so to speak, the whole enchilada, we need to look. We don't, I don't want you to turn there, but just trust me. Just jot it down. Matthew says this, and, and, and he, that he was exceedingly fierce. The word fierce, that means he was brutal. He was violent. He was ferocious. He was savage. He was like an animal. That's why here in Mark says no one could tame him as if he was a savage. But Luke, Luke, he's a medical doctor. That guy sees so many things that other people cannot see. He said this, that he was a wild man out of control. He was, he was, he was from a local city, that he had been demonic for a long time, and he was running around naked. And he lived among the tombs, but moved back and forth from the mountains. So here you see a tormented soul running around naked, hurting himself, cutting himself, hiding in the tombs, in the pantheon, in, in the place where people are buried, 
He was marginalized. He had superhuman strength. That's why sometimes this message, I call it the PCP man. Now, if you don't know what PCP means, that's just them for Philadelphia City Police, nothing like that. If you don't know what PCP is, God bless you. Don't worry about it. I, this is my story. This is my story. You see, when I came out of the military at the age of 21 years old, I served my country three years. When I got out, I was a bitter young man, angry at the police, angry at the government, angry at Nixon, angry at Melvin Laird, angry at McNamara, angry at the LAPD, angry at the East LA sheriffs. I was angry at everybody. I was angry that when I landed at Norton Air Force Base in San Bernardino, instead of welcoming me home, they tell us we cannot wear our uniform because people will spit at us. And instead of people waiting for us, at least with some donuts, like I used to see in the World War II in Korea, when the Americans would come home, at least they will give you a donut and a cup of coffee. For us, there were nothing but German shepherds smelling our behind and smelling all of our clothing. Welcome home to America. I was angry. I was disappointed. I was bitter. I was bitter for a long time. And drugs took the best of me. Alcohol took the best of me. And it was destroying my life. But one day, like you're here today, I said, what's the purpose? And Jesus came into my life that day. And my life has never been the same anymore. I'm still a hood rat. (laughs) Some of you say, what's a hood rat? Someone that lives in the hood. But God transformed me. And everybody wants to get out of the hood. We did. My wife and I did. We got out of the hood. But I became a Christian, and the Lord's putting a calling on my life, and the Lord says, go back to the hood. I ain't going back to the hood. <laughs> no way. But the Lord impressed on my heart, go back to the hood. I go, all right. I know my wife won't go back to the hood. She's been, she's been dying to get out of the hood, and I'm, I'm going to put her upon her. And she'll say no, and by, that's the end of that. So I told Millie, God's putting me a call to go back to the hood. What, what sayest thou? <laughs> and without missing a beat, she says, that's what the Lord's been putting on my heart. We've got to go back to the hood. <laughs> so we've been in the hood. One of my first experiences being at the barn. We met at a barn. We met at a barn. At a barn. Built in 1850. A barn. Because we were only paying $15 a week. We had around 30 people. My first experience with something like this. A man was brought to me. He, he, he had inoperable brain tumor, right? It was, the brain tumor was the size of a tangerine riding behind his brainstem. It was compromising now his motor skills. And the doctors told him, you basically have like a month, maybe a month and a half. I don't really remember. It, was, it wasn't that long. And they brought him to me. And, and I said to myself, what can I do? Well, what should I pray for? Should I pray that he'll go easier, or the faster? Or, you know, that the HMO would approve his death? Well, what, what, you know? So, but of course, we want to emulate what James says. Is anyone among you sick? Call for the elders of the church. Let him anoint him with oil. And we did that. And so, you know, hope against hope. And homeboy looked like he was about to die with the t- tomorrow. He, that, that was that bad. So we anointed him with oil. 
That's it. That was on a Wednesday. On a Thursday, he goes back to the doctor, and the doctor, they check him out, and they took an x-ray or an MRI and says, you know, something's happening here. We don't believe it, but can you come tomorrow? We've got to see something. What's going on? It seems like the tumor's shrinking. Come back tomorrow. It was Friday. Go back Friday. And says, it's really, really shrinking. You got to come Saturday. Now, when doctors on their day off tell you to come back, (laughs) it's something happening. By Sunday or Saturday night, the doctors couldn't believe that the tumor had shrunk to nothing. Now, they're not going to put in their patient went to see Pastor Poncho. And he was, they're not going to do that. You know what they call a medical miracle? It's called instantaneous resolution. They're not going to put miracle in there. So what happened? Oh, you just experienced an instantaneous resolution. What does that mean? We don't know. (laughs) But we do know what happened. So here's what happened. What happened is that this man became a walking billboard for the glory of God. The whole family, you know, when you have a family member that's dying, everybody comes together. We don't talk at all, but once some of us is dying, we get close and we forget the the bygones, be bygones, we bury the hatchet because some of one of our loved ones is dying, we get together. And he's dying. Now all of a sudden he has, I got good news. What happened? It's gone. I'm healed. I just experienced an instantaneous resolution. (laughs) What happened? He says, well, I went to church. What church? Uh, There's a little church, man. And he's at a barn. The next thing I know, the whole family is sitting in three rows. I am now the big kahuna in their family. That's, that's, that's the pastor. He's the one that healed me. And all the family wants to meet me. And now they're all telling me, Pastor, I have headaches. Can you put your hand here? I, you know, and for a minute there, I thought, wow, I've never had this kind of elation or this kind of recognition. For a moment there, I wanted to say, glory to God, healed. <laughs> but I did not. But it was just an experience. Now, all this to share with you is that, is that this is not the finality. The whole family gets saved. The whole family, they receive, the, all the whole family receives Jesus. Grandpa, grandma, everybody. You know, when grandma and grandpa comes to the Lord, the whole family comes to the Lord. And that's what happened. Four months later, grandma, grandpa, son, wife, and two children, they're on their way to visit family. There's a major horrific accident, and they are trapped in their car, and they incinerate to death. Exactly. Horrific. My comfort, they were all born again. Okay? Okay. I'm not done yet. Tripped out. Not, not, not trip, 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 trip. <laughs> okay. It's a sad funeral. The saddest funeral ever. But through that, the whole community are coming to Jesus Christ. And we go, how do you work, Lord? Why why you do it that way? And I'm reminded of Isaiah. Pancho, my ways are not your ways. My thoughts are not like yours. Don't try to figure me out. Just trust me. With man, things are impossible. But with God, 
All things are possible. That was the beginning of my ministry. I have not lost that. I believe with all my heart that there's, there are people here this morning that you just did it, Bob, to this a second service. You come in here, but you have necessities that only God can meet. You see, this man, this fierce man, this man who was like an animal who could not be controlled by anyone else, they would put handcuffs on him and he would break him. He had super, superhuman strength. He was like an animal, marginalized. He was butt naked. Forgive me for using that kind of language. Forgive me. I've been admonished that I use vernacular that is not proper, and I apologize. But that's what we say in my neighborhood. So he was nude. That means he had no clothes on. Hurting himself. Crying day and night. His mama, his daddy. Can you imagine the grief of mom and dad? My son is on the streets. But the moment he sees Jesus, the moment he sees him, think of you as a disciple. That's the way I read my Bible. I love reading my Bible because I like to put myself in the disciples. What if I, if I, 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 I am Andrew and I just get off the boat with Jesus and we're on the other side. And all of a sudden I see like, I see like a hundred yards, I see a guy who's just naked. He's bleeding. He just yelling, ah! Whoa, 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 whoa. Now in my neighborhood, well, we get ready. We get ready because you don't know what's happening. But he's naked. He's coming. He's crazy. He's coming. He's getting closer. Jesus, what should we do? And Jesus did absolutely nothing. And before we got to Jesus, the man falls to the ground and he begins to worship Jesus. Who is Jesus? Notice verse 4, verse 5. And always night and day he was in the mountains and the tombs crying out and cutting himself with stones. When he saw Jesus from afar, he ran and worshipped him. Now where the disciples were saying, who is Jesus? They were marveling at who Jesus was. This is what he said. And he cried out with a loud voice and said, what have I to do with you, Jesus, son of the most high God? So he knows who he is. He says, I implore you, I beg of you by God that you do not torment me. For he said to him, come out of this man, unclean spirit. There's no yelling. There's no fighting. There's no sensationalism. I used to watch these Italian movies about Jesus. And there's Jesus, this episode where Jesus, you know, he has his hand up. And there's the demonic man foaming at the mouth like he took two Alka-Seltzers and he puts them in his mouth. And the, the, and the man and Jesus has his hand and his hand is shaking like he's fighting with the demons. This is according to the Italian version. He's fighting with it. And, and he goes, oh! Wow, man. And then you become a Christian. You read it and Jesus just said, shut up. There's no fighting. Why? Well, the demon possessed man says, I know who you are. You're the master blaster from Lancaster. I know who you are. I know who you are. Why am I going to fight with you? He even says, I beg of you, don't torment me. Why would there be a fight? The demon already knew 
who he was. Amen to that. You're right. Amen. Amen. I know who you are. He begged, please help me. Jesus says, come out. Verse 9. Then he asked him, what is your name? And he answered, saying, my name is Legion, for we are many. Legion. It's a Roman military unit of 4,000 to 6,000 men. Think of the tormenting soul of this man. And then we are told, he says in verse 10, also he begged them earnestly that he would not send them out of the country. Now a large herd of swine was feeding there near the mountains. So all the demons begged them saying, send us to the swine that we may enter them. You see, the demons had to go from one corporal entity and they wanted to enter another corporal entity. And they begged Jesus, I know you're going to exercise us out of this guy, but we need to go someplace else. And Jesus said, there's some swine out there, 2,000 of them. At the order of Jesus, we are told, verse 13, and at once Jesus gave them permission. Then the unclean spirits went out and entered the swine. There were about 2,000 of them, and the herd ran violently down the steep place into the sea, and they drowned in the sea. So those who fed the swine, they fled, and they told it in that city and in that country, and they went out to see what it was that had happened so the pig take care, the caretakers of the pigs, when they saw this madness, it was a, a, a freakish, abnormal phenomena. All of a sudden, you take care of you know, 2,000 pigs, and all of a sudden, the, the, the pig gets wine flu of some kind. <laughs> and they go crazy. And then they go nuts, and then they jump over the cliff, and there's a wild man there. And the wild man is getting healed in front of them. And they run off and they go back into the heathen country. And they say, trip out. You ought to see what happened. What happened? Remember, 2,000 pigs just went over and they're floating right now. And you remember the guy who's running naked? Yeah. Remember the guy who's bleeding and crying out 24-7? The freaked out guy? Remember that 5150? Yeah. Trip out. Let's go check him out. So they go. The one's man, wild man, the Bible says he was sitting down. He was dressed. And I like the third part. He was in his right mind. Amen? Amen, Amen. Amen to that. You see, sitting down is a, is a posture of reposing. When you walk a long time, when you walk for a long time, you want to sit down because you're tired. He has been running around 24-7, crying out for the first time he's sitting down. He's dressed, almost like dressed with the robes of righteousness, of salvation, the garment of God's righteousness. Now he, he realizes, I'm, I, I'm nude, and now he begins to feel shame, whereas before there was no shame. And then he was in his right mind. Logic came back to him. Reason came back to him. The mental conclusion, his mental faculties, once again, were hygienitized. Once again, he was that man who used to be. A lot of us have lost our way in life because of bitterness, or brokenheartedness, or failures, bankruptcies, and we become like this man. And we have no peace. We're running. 
We're not dressed with the garments of salvation, righteousness, forgiveness, and we're not in our right mind. We are in a state of confusion, in a state of anger, in a state of diffusion of the mind. You can't even think. You're so angry. You're so bitter. You cannot forgive yourself. There's so much head trips in our lives, and it seems like no one can understand us. That was me. I'm 24 years old. I'm saying, where am I going? I hate everybody. I hate the government. I hate the police for no reason. I blame everything on the exploitation and the injustice of the community. So many liquor stores, so much poverty, so much exploitation. And I blame everything on somebody. Somebody has to be at fault. Then I became a Christian. My eyes were open. And God just told me, it's sin. Sin. We have no moral values. We're lost. We're confused. We lost touch with God, and the things that we do is based on our on on our on our worldview or who we are, what we think, and the way we think of the world and what we think of it will respond to that. If you don't value life, you don't care about life. If you're not concerned about mental health, you will do whatever it takes to destroy your mental health. I don't mean to share this, but it was so for me. It was so picturesque. For Pastor Joy, it was ghastly. He drops me off at the hotel yesterday, and, and, and there was a wedding going on. And, and, and there was a guy dressed up in a tuxedo being held up by two young ladies, and homeboy is just vomiting. Projectile vomiting. And I say that because, you know, if you're into a doctor and you said, I'm vomiting, they'll ask you, what kind of vomit was it? I think the phrase should have been, describe, you know, your vomit. Is it projectile? Is it, are you, are you uh, drooling it? Because it, it, it's, it's different ways. You see, if you drool, that means that, that, that you're in control. But if it's projectile, like a missile, it just means, and I don't mean to be that nasty, forgive me. But it means that your body is reacting to something that's horrible, and that's the body's response to tell you, this is not good. And so as he was walking down, Hollenboy looked like a rocket. I told Joe, Joe, look at that, and Joe would not look. For me, it was lovely. Why? Because it reminded me of me. That was my life. That was my life. And then the next day, what you do, man? Oh, I partied last night, man. Yeah, I vomited all over the place, man. Party on. That was it? Once again, it reminded me last night of who God is. Look what happens. At once, forgive me, verse 14, would you believe 15? Then they came to Jesus and saw the one who had been demon-possessed and had a legion sitting and clothed in his right mind. And they were afraid. And those who saw it told it how it happened to him who had been demon-possessed and about the swine. So he was sitting and clothed and in his right mind. Verse 17. Then they began to plead with Jesus to depart from the region. And when he got into the boat, he, 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 he who had been demon-possessed begged Jesus that he might be with him. However, Jesus did not permit him 
But he said to him, go home, Pancho, to your friends. And go tell your friends what great things the Lord has done for you and how he had compassion on you. That's exactly what happened. You see, when God changes your heart, your mind, he changes your lifestyle. It changes your whole view of life. Your eyes are open. The directness of life, the ideas from your heart are changed. There's a dramatic revolution inside your heart and your mind. And you wish you knew how that's working, but we don't know. We just say something happened. What happened? I don't know. But something happened. And all of a sudden, I, I start saying no to things that are evil and to say yes to those things that promote life and worthwhile living. All of a sudden, I had a desire to go back to school. Ah, school. I hated school. And all of a sudden, I have a desire to go to school, night school. And all of a sudden, the impulses, the drives, everything had changed. I didn't know what was going on. But it was a transformation. I was a walking billboard. My friends will say, hey, Ponch, blah, 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 blah. Would you want to get high? You got some good stuff? Because I know you always got good stuff. Because I would go to Mexico back and forth. And I wasn't a tourist either. You know what I mean? <laughs> and they say, hey, you got, you got anything for the head? And I start talking like an evangelist. Dude, I have nothing for the head. But I have something for your soul. They go, What? I said, I, I have a river of life. And why was I saying like that? I, see, we were singing a song back when I got saved. I got a river of life flowing out of me. And so although I was quoting the song, I got a river of life flowing out of me. Wow, that's deep, man. Well, it was a song. I didn't know scriptures yet. All I can describe is that I have a river of life flowing out of me. It says, it's God who makes the blind to see and the lame to walk. I was just a young Christian. And my friends all of a sudden began to walk away from me. They're saying, this dude's wigged out. (laughs) This guy's way out there now. And I said, I don't care what you think. I found liberty. I found emancipation. I don't have to please anybody anymore. I'm not upset at Nixon anymore. I'm not upset at the mayor of L.A. I'm not upset at LAPD. I'm not upset at the sheriffs. I'm not upset at anyone anymore. Something happened. I can't explain it to you. But those of you who are born again, you know exactly what I'm talking about. And that's exactly what this man says. Don't come with me. Go back home. Because they're the ones that know you. They're the ones, when you go back home, you know, your mama who is going to see you, they're going to, here comes Roger. Fictitious name. Because I don't want a Roger after me. How do you know he's talking about me? <laughs> Fictitious name is Roger. And mom and dad, the last time we've seen you, you were naked. You were, you were 5150. What happened to you? Mama, daddy, a man named Jesus. Wow. Amen? A man named Jesus. He's not dungeon. So... The Bible says that verse 21, now when Jesus had crossed over again by boat to the other side, a great multitude gathered to him, and he was by the sea. And behold, now he's on the side of the Jewish people again, okay? And behold, one of the rulers of the synagogue, 
So that tells you something. A ruler of the synagogue, educated, credentialized, man has political, social standing. Probably a little bit wealthy. He has people behind him, and he's a man of honor, distinguishing. He's a man of a bunch of letters after his last name. But something's going on. His 12-year-old daughter is about to die. A desperate father will do desperate things. I know I would. Whatever it would take for my daughters or my children, whatever it would take, if you have the ability to heal my daughter and no one else can, I'll wash your feet, I'll kiss your feet, and I'll worship you if you can do that for me. I'm a desperate father. Jairus is no different from any of you. What do I have to lose? I heard of this man. Sees Jesus. And the Bible says in verse 22, that when he saw Jesus, he fell at his feet and begged him earnestly, saying, my little daughter lies at the point of death. Come and lay your hands on her that she may be healed and she will live. So Jesus went with him, and a a great multitude followed him and thronged him. So now Jesus is going on what I would call a 911 call. Let's go. But thousands of people, when he says great, magnus, multitude, you can always go under a 1,000 to 5,000 people. He was a spectacle. Whenever he would go, thousands of people would follow him. So people are thronging him. And so here's Jairus, hurry up. My daughter, hurry up, hurry up. All of a sudden, Jesus stops and decides to have a conversation. If I'm the father, I would say, don't stop now. But Jesus stops. He asks the question, who touched me? And, and uh, uh, some wise guy, probably Peter, that's, uh, Mark is cool. He doesn't, he doesn't, he doesn't you know, he doesn't, he doesn't drop dime. He doesn't say who it is. But I think it's Peter. <laughs> we'll find out when we get to heaven. We'll ask him. Was that you, Peter? I, and I'm sure he was. But someone said, what do you mean who touched you? Don't you see all the people? They're thronging you. Everybody's touching you. But Jesus corrected them. Notice what he said in verse 30. Verse 29. Ah, you know what? Verse 27. Ah, 25. Now a certain woman had a flow of blood for 12 years and had suffered many things from many physicians. She had spent all that she had and was no better, but rather grew worse. When she heard about Jesus, she came behind him in the crowd and touched his garment. For she said, if I only may touch his clothes, I shall be made well. Immediately. There's Mark again. Immediately, she had an instantaneous resolution. (laughs) The fountain of her blood was dried up, and she felt in her body that she was healed of the affliction. And Jesus immediately, knowing in himself that power had gone out of him, turned around in the crowd and said, Who touched my clothes? But his disciples said to him, You see the multitude thronging you, and you ask, Who touched me? And he looked around to see who had done this thing. But the woman, fearing and trembling, knowing what had happened to her, came and fell down before him. We got people falling down all over him. And told him the whole truth. And he said to her, daughter, your faith has made you well. Go in peace and be healed of your affliction. There you see the divine intervention and the human response. You can always lead a horse to water, but you cannot force him to drink it. Some of you are here. 
in around three minutes, I'm going to ask you, would you like to receive Jesus Christ? I cannot force you. I cannot make you. But if you allow him, he will give you the water that you'll never thirst, a healing that you have no comprehension. He will give you logic and reason. He will give you the ability and the purpose why you live. He will give you the reason. He will open your eyes. But that's up to you. I'm just letting you know right now. So your flesh will just mellow out right now. And that your spirit will speak to you about the reality. Go. Your faith has made you well. While he was still speaking, some came from the ruler of the synagogue's house and said, Your daughter is dead. Why trouble the teacher any further? As soon as Jesus heard the word that was spoken, he said to the ruler or the father of this little girl, Do not be afraid, only believe. And he permitted no one to follow him except Peter, James, and John, the brother of James. Then he came to the house of the ruler of the synagogue, and he saw a tumult, almost like a riot. It was almost like a a, a spectacle of grief and exaggerated emotions because they used to hire musicians to play dirge music, D-I-R-G-E music. What kind of music is that? It's just music that it sounds grief. It's almost like if you remember the, 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 the Munsters or the Adams Family, it was Lurch playing that kind of music. And if you don't know what I'm talking about, forget it. <laughs> it's that kind of music. You go to a funeral, and you go... <laughs> when we have funerals, we don't call them funerals at our church. We call them graduations. Welcome to the graduation. And most people that are not Christian, graduation, this is a funeral. No, absent from the bodies to be present with the Lord. If you're a Christian, you die, you're home. You finish the race. No more HMOs, no more fighting, no more pain, no more sorrow, no more death. You're in the presence of God. You're done. You're graduated. You're home now. Death is not a monster. Death is a minister. That scares us, ooh. And you go, go ooh, to you. Because if I die, ooh, you take me to the best place I want to be, ooh. And death can mess with you. Because death was this mantle, according to Hebrews 2, verses 11, 12, 13. Jesus came to taste death for us and destroy him who had the power of death, Satan, that for our life that he held us bondage under the fear of death. Mm, I love that scripture. For someone that sniffed glue or still remember that scripture, it's so wonderful. <laughs> and then he says, when he came in, he said to them, why make this commotion and weep? The child is not dead, but sleeping. And notice the response. And they ridiculed him. But when he had put them all outside, I love that. Get him out of here. He took the father and the mother of the child and those who were with him. That's James, Peter, and John. And they enter where the child was lying. Then Jesus took the child by the hand and said to her in the Aramaic language, Talitha kume, which is translated, little girl, I say to you, arise. Immediately, I love Mark. Immediately the girl arose and walked, for she was 12 years of age. Now you're the parents. Mama knows the baby died. She signaled to the dad when she saw him, she's gone. And all of a sudden, this man a humble man from Nazareth, goes up to her, Talitha Kume. She gets up. Gets up, starts walking. What would you do as a parent? Would you just say nonchalant, 
Oh, trip out. Oh, oh no. You'll be all hyper Pentecostal. You'll be, you, you be going crazy. And if someone tells you Jesus is not for real, oh, he's for real, all right. Don't tell me he's not real. Walking billboards. And notice what happens. But he commanded them strictly that no one should know it and said that something should be given to her to eat. Two things. Hey, give her something to eat. And by the way, don't say nothing about this. (laughs) What a dilemma. Everybody outside, they know that she died. And all of a sudden, the little girl's up. What happened to her? I don't know. (laughs) Now, here we go. You're here. In our church, we have a church. It's a warehouse. And in California, we have warehouses that become indoor swap meets. Some people, unbeknown, they're driving, and they think our church is a swap meet. And once they get into the traffic jam, they can't get out, so they go inside the church. And they receive the Lord. They were not looking for Jesus. They thought it was an indoor swap meet, and they listened to the word. Some people come looking for Jesus. Some people come out of curiosity. And there's no different here today. Today, divinely, God orchestrated your schedule. That's called the sovereignty of God. He moved things around. You're here. You're listening to the gospel. Now you know the truth. Intervention has come. Now here's your part. Do you want him? I can't force you. I don't even know you. But the Spirit of God will cause those who need Jesus to say, I need Jesus today. And I want to pray with you. If you want to receive Jesus right where you're at, right where you're at, and I'd like to pray with you, would you stand and remain standing until we pray together? Whoever you are, just stand. Just stand. Just stand. Just stand. Here's where the rubber meets the road. Do you want Jesus? Hear this. You must stand and ask him to come into your life. Anyone, quickly, just stand to your feet. Anyone. Oh, there's, there's a lot of you. I know it. I feel it. You say, but I'm going to look like a fool. <laughs> Don't be a fool no more. Because you're being fool. I come to give you life and life abundantly. I did not come to condemn you, but to give you life and life abundantly. God bless you. Anyone else? Quickly. Anyone else? Anyone else? God bless you, sir. Remain standing. Anyone else? God bless you both. Anybody else? Quickly. Quickly. Just stand wherever you're at. Quickly. Quickly. Anybody else? Anybody else? Anybody else? Quickly. God bless you, sir. God bless you. Love you. God bless you, ma'am. Love you. Remain standing. Anybody else here? Anybody else? Quickly. Don't let the enemy rip you off. You're not here by accident. God wants to speak to you, and today is your day. The only thing that's holding you is pride. Pride has destroyed your marriage, has destroyed your relationship. It's about to send you to eternity in damnation. Don't let him. Today is the day of salvation. Today, today, 
Would you stand up? Anybody else? Quickly. Anybody else? Anybody else? Time is... God bless you. Love you. Anybody else? Anybody else? For those of you that are standing, would you simply repeat this prayer after me? Dear Jesus, please forgive me. I'm a sinner. I repent of all my sin. Jesus, come into my heart as my Lord and Savior. Fill me with your Holy Spirit, making me a new mind, a new heart, and a clean conscience. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Welcome to the family. Amen. Listen, we'll get the worship team up here. We'll get the worship team right here. And as we close, if you're sick, if you're sick, would you stand? We just want to pray with you. Those of you that have an illness, an infirmity, a health issue, would you stand? We just want to pray for you, whoever you are, quickly, quickly. Those of you, I mean, you ought to know whether you're sick or not. Am I sick or not? I don't know. <laughs> if you're sick, you're sick. Would you? Father, in the name of Jesus, as we close this service, Father, we pray an anointing upon those that are standing. Lord, whatever issue, whatever circumstance, whatever medical infirmity, whatever illness, whatever it's going on in their lives, may you heal them. May you touch them. May you give them strength. Father, if there's no healing, Father, I pray that you strengthen them with the will to continue to trust you in spite of the pain because we know when we, when we are weak, we become strong. Bless them now. Go before them and touch them for your name is Jehovah Rapha, the God that heals. We thank you. We love you. In Jesus' name we pray. Thank you for listening to Get Fed Today. Today's sermon comes from Pastor Pancho Juarez. If you enjoy the message, you can access more of Pastor Poncho's teaching ministry by visiting thearcmontebello.com.